I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2003. Enjoy. Well, on various morning show programs over the last several months, we have talked about the Roman Catholic Church and about the priesthood and about some of the challenges being faced uh, by Catholics uh, in, in the wake of, of difficulties, which I, I don't need to uh, list for you. Uh, one of the, the most inspiring books that I have read recently is called Still Called by Name, Why I Love Being a Priest. And its author is uh, a lifelong Chicagoan, Father Dominic Grassi. He uh, was ordained in the priesthood in, in 1973 and has uh, lived out uh, the priesthood in, in a number of, of different ways. Uh, the author of, of two books before this, Bumping Into God and Bumping Into God Again. And um, we look forward to talking with uh, Father Dominic Grassi about this latest book, and in particular, what uh, inspired its writing. Uh, Father Dominic Grassi, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Good to be with you. What did uh, inspire this specific book to be written? I think it was the headlines. Uh, I think it was an attempt to help people to get to know what uh, their priests are all about, uh, to, for us to be able to start re-earning uh, our, their trust and uh, help people understand that, uh, that uh, the priests are human and uh, that we, uh, what goes on inside our minds is something they need to know about. There a lot of intriguing things in this book uh, sort of give us insight into what it means to be a uh, a priest, uh, and probably e even more generally, uh, what, it, what it means to be a, a, a clergyman in, in whatever religious faith we might be talking about. One of the things you, you say at the, at the beginning of one of the chapters is that your job as a pastor has forced you to learn a lot of things uh, you were never taught in seminary. And you go on to list them, and, and uh, boy, we get a sense that, that it, it means a lot when you walk into that first parish that you are going to be confronted with all kinds of challenges that uh, the seminary might not have really prepared you for. That's really true. I mean, uh, you can learn things about uh, plumbing and electricity and butter joints on, uh, on uh, scaffolding and things like that. Uh, but there are other things in terms of people skills that are even more important that uh, you really do have to learn in terms of dealing with your parishioners, your staff, your co-workers, uh, so many things. Uh, and the list goes on and on. It's one of the things that makes priesthood so much fun because it's never the same every day. Well, it's good that you use the term fun. Uh, one, of the, one of the terms you use in, in describing this particular array of challenges is you talk about parish politics, although I don't think you necessarily mean that in an entirely negative way. No, not at all. I mean, uh, you have to really uh, go into a parish and meet with... Uh, people one-on-one -on -one that are really the leaders in the parish and, uh, and spend some time finding out what their interests and concerns are and, uh, and to get to know how you can uh, utilize them to the good of the parish and uh, yeah, call them to support you when you need them. Uh, it really is, uh, in some ways, uh, like coming into a business. You have to really get to know the people around you if you're going to be effective. Uh, not too long ago, I interviewed uh, Paul Dinter. I don't know if you have uh, read his book or, or heard of it called The Other Side of the Altar. Yes, I have. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, he came into the priesthood, if I remember correctly, in the late 1960s, and you were ordained in 1973, so you are nearly of the same 
generation. Mm -hmm. And he talks in his book about how it was a, a really exciting, interesting, and to some extent turbulent time to be a Catholic in, in the wake of Vatican II and all of those changes which, uh, which it represented. What was that uh, like for you to be uh, a young Catholic at that point in your Church's history? He's very accurate with that, that assessment. It was an exciting time. The word I would use, extremely hopeful time. Uh, there was the sense that uh, given the reforms of the Second Vatican Council and what was going on, that there were going to be some, some wonderful changes that we were going to take part in. We're going to be on the kind of cutting edge of things. We're going to be redefining a lot of what we would be doing as priests. Uh, unfortunately, we, we couldn't have a crystal ball to see what would happen in our world, our society, that went even beyond what was going on in the church, and uh, I think we took a lot of things for granted. We didn't um, really lay the groundwork, the foundation on a lot of things that we should have, and some of that's come back to uh, make things a little more difficult now. Hmm. As you look back at your seminary uh, preparation for the priesthood, uh, maybe in light of, of my first question, which was about all those things that you don't learn in, in seminary, uh, how do you feel seminary equipped you for the priesthood? The one thing it gave us was a, a real bond with our classmates and other priests that doesn't seem to be present today, because many of us, most of us ordained, started in the seminary in high school, through college, and then through the theology. So we knew each other for 12 years. We knew the priests and the classes ahead of us and behind us, which built an instant support system. And the guys getting ordained now come into the seminary after perhaps a different career uh, they're in for four or five years or ordained. Uh, of the 15 or 16 we ordained for Chicago this past year, uh, um, 14 of them were foreign-born, and the two uh, native-born were not from the Chicago area, so those support systems aren't there. And that's going to be very difficult uh, for a priest. You need to have support. And when you leave the seminary, uh, if those supports aren't there, you're going to find life pretty difficult. Hmm. Uh, at what point in your childhood assuming it was your childhood, were you uh, taken with this idea of exploring the priesthood? First of all, would you consider yourself a devoutly religious young person? Not at all. Uh, I had three older brothers go to the high school seminary ahead of me, and uh, so when I went, nobody bad an eyelash. I thought I was just kind of following the steps of my brothers. None of them went on to be ordained. My oldest brother bet me $25 I wouldn't make it past the second year of the seminary that I was doing that because I I admired him, so the day of my ordination, I collected the bet <laughs> and uh, reminded him of that fact. Uh, and I, I can remember very clearly, it was around the sixth grade, there was a wonderful young priest in the parish who preached great homilies, and people would gather around him after Mass, and the thing I noticed is when people walked away from him, they were always smiling. And I said, wouldn't that be nice to do with people? And that was really the genesis of it all way back then, and of course... Over the years, the seminary provided wonderful experiences of service, and the more I, I, I got to know people and get involved with people, the more I realized that the level of involvement I wanted went beyond teaching or counseling or anything like that. I wanted to be with people in those very uh, important moments of their lives, uh, birth and death and life and celebrating and crying uh, at the very depths of their souls, and that's what priesthood afforded me. We're speaking with Father Dominic Grassi, author of Still Called by Name, Why I Love Being a Priest. One of the uh, 
points of honesty in this book, and there are all kinds of points of, 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 of great honesty that, that, that I, I really appreciate, uh, is when you talk about uh, your earliest efforts as a preacher, which you regard, at least now in retrospect, as, as, as pretty dismal attempts. Tell us a little bit about why you feel like you at least began your ministry as a very, very poor preacher. Ironically, the seminary gave us only one class in preaching. And you think of, you know, your, the kind of contact you have with people during the course of an entire week. You're going to have the biggest contact with people at 10 or 12 or 15 minutes you're preaching, but they didn't seem to emphasize it. And so when I went into the parish, I was pretty much on my own. And so all I did was I would write the words out word for word, comma for comma, period for period, memorize them because I didn't want to look like I was relying on notes, and I would just give a memorized speech back to people because I didn't know what to say. Uh, I didn't know the people well. It was the theology I had learned in the seminary. I was just regurgitating more theology than I was a homily. And I began to notice people, kind of their eyes would glaze over, they'd pick up and start reading the bulletin. And I said, well, something's not working here. And uh, I stumbled upon uh, what was called at the time the theology of story, guys like uh, Father Jack Shea. And I read the stuff vociferously, started telling stories, started moving away from memorizing the homily word for word. A very good preacher said, you do that and you don't leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. And, and all of a sudden, I kind of developed the reputation of being a storyteller. And I began to realize that if I did my job as a priest, I understood people and their stories, then my story should touch their stories. Together we'll come to some realization of what the story with a capital S is all about. Hmm. And that's what I've been doing ever since. You give us a nice sense of the, the sort of comprehensive nature of, of, of being a, 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 clergy, a clergyman. Uh, in your case, a Catholic priest, but I think for, for, for most clergy, this is the same sort of thing in which your life involves a, a cornucopia of all kinds of different opportunities and responsibilities and, and, and so on. You are not doing the same task uh, day after day after day, and even the same task uh, is sor- sort of a different task depending on the unique situation in which uh, it comes up. That's the real joy of priesthood for me, uh, that uh, you just, when the doorbell rings and the phone rings, when your appointment walks into the office, you just never know what to expect. So you kind of are always thinking on your feet. It's hard to be prepared. When you do prepare yourself, usually something goes in a different direction. I was with a a young uh, parishioner, a young father of two children. Last night, I I thought... uh, the conversation was to go into some direction about our school because we had changed the format of our preschool, and I knew he was disappointed. Instead, it was an evening of him talking about the Catholic Church. He was not Catholic, his wife was, what it would take for him to, to join with the Catholic Church. Real pleasant surprise. Wonderful evening, a wonderful conversation uh, that I wasn't expecting. Those are, those are great moments to have. Hmm. You talk at one point about... Uh, the important work of of hospital calls, visiting the sick, visiting the homebound. And I I had never stopped to think about it in this way, how there is the potential pitfall of someone who does that as part of their living, uh, doing it a lot and sort of allowing it to become kind of a, a routine part of the texture of their lives versus the person on the other end receiving that particular 
type of, of ministry. For them, it is often a, a unique and very important moment uh, in their lives. And uh, uh, you call yourself and others who do this kind of work to be very mindful of that. Really is true. You know, you can become a kind of a slave to your schedule, your Palm Pilot, whatever it might be. And, and so you get a call with somebody in the hospital that changes your schedule. You get in the car, you drive there. You know, for you, it's no big thing. You're trying to figure out how to rework your schedule. You're hoping they'll be parking at the hospital. Uh, uh, you get there, you go up, and then all of a sudden, uh, you begin to realize this is, can be an extremely important moment in a person's life. They might be very frightened. They may have gotten a very difficult diagnosis. There might be some real issues uh, that they're facing in terms of their own mortality. And I have to focus on them and make sure the Lord works through me at that particular moment and put everything else aside. And that came home to me when I ended up spending a week in the hospital and realizing uh, hospitals are... Uh, for all the good that they do, are very, very impersonal places uh, where you feel totally out of control. Everybody else is controlling you. And the priest comes in, and he's not going to come in with a diagnosis. He's not going to come in with a bad report. He's going to come in and just listen, find out what your needs are, and help you cope with what you're dealing with. Hmm. You devote a chapter in your book to, you, you call it, Me and My Body. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting that you take the time that you do to to talk about your own uh, physical health, your physical fitness, or as you would say, uh, to some extent, your 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 lack of fitness or or not being as fit as you would like to be, and and, and so on. Um, I'm just curious uh, the way in which you think this is a, a significant part of your own story uh, as as a priest, and how it helps us understand the priesthood. I think um, very often you think of a celibate and you think of uh, somebody living an out-of-body experience. And we're not. Uh, we're as human as everybody else, but uh, we tend to forget that sometimes. And, uh, you know, as you get a little bit older, you begin to realize you have to take care of your own body as well. Uh, I was at a meeting with my classmates, and uh, one of my classmates was talking about uh, how healthy he was. He kind of was just staring at me and uh, as he said, he said he could still get in the same suit he bought when he was first ordained his first black suit, and he was still staring at me, and everybody was giggling. So I remarked that as a person who can't even fit into his birthday suit anymore, uh, I've struggled with my own weight and issues like that. And, uh, and I found that uh, when I do work out, uh, it just helps me put everything in perspective. Uh, it, it's time I take for myself, which is necessary uh, when I'm on the elliptical machine or on the treadmill or on the bicycle, it's great time for prayer and reflection. Uh, it is a quiet time. The phone is not going to ring. Uh, it's time I need to recharge myself. And you begin to realize that you are a human as a priest and, uh, and that you're not infallible and your body is not going to continue on forever. And, and that all of that helps you to be a good minister. Mm. So at first I kind of hid the fact that I was working out. I didn't want people to see me in my sweats when I went to the gym. I thought they'd be worried about, you know, why is he working? Why is he going to the gym? Why is he doing this? Why is he so vain? But I found as people found out, they were, they were, they felt good that I wasn't trying to take care of myself. And out of it, I, I grew not only physically uh, to be in better shape, but also spiritually and emotionally because it was uh, my kind of time. Mm. I thought it was interesting, though, that you also mentioned that that uh, if you would go to uh, a gym or health club uh, close to your parish or the rectory, 
uh, where you might be apt to see parishioners, they would often uh, treat that that kind of encounter as uh, as an opportunity to really share with you, which uh, on one hand is 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 interesting that 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 would be a, a setting or environment where, where people would feel that sort of openness with you, but on the other hand, there is a workout to complete as well. Yeah, I think it's kind of a guy thing. Uh, you know, guys do a lot of sharing in the gym, and of course, if their priest is there, they can really do a lot of sharing. And what happened was, so often I wouldn't make it to any of the equipment. I'd be cornered by one of the parishioners, and we'd talk for an hour, an hour and a half, and it would be time for me to leave. So I go to a gym that's halfway across the city. The folks know I am a priest there, but there's not anybody I really minister to there. Uh, it's a serious place. It's not a, one of the big multiplexes. It's just a little gym above a we should touch on the fact that uh, that this book is written uh, in the shadow of of some controversies and, and great hurts that uh, confront uh, the Roman Catholic Church and in particular um, the priesthood uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is uh, do you have a sense that seminaries um, are working in a profoundly different way than for instance they did uh, back in the days when when you were attending the seminary, are are issues of of sexuality, of understanding one's own sexuality and and understanding proper boundaries and so on, are those kind of issues being addressed at the seminary level now in a way that you think uh, perhaps uh, gives hope for the future? I certainly hope so, and I guess my answer would be yes and no. It can depend on the individual going to the seminary now. They are older; they've experienced more of life, as I mentioned before. Uh, and for some of them, the seminary has in place certainly the, all that is needed for uh, somebody to really look at their own sexual identity, their own sexual needs, their own ability to be a celibate, what that means. And uh, a lot of guys take advantage of that so that they can really learn and ascertain for themselves. But it's also a system where you can learn to give all the right answers and get through it and, uh, and really not uh, understand what you're going into. And that's going to Proved to be problematic for hmm. guys. Your book really ends, actually, uh, not squarely on this issue, but I think uh, it, 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 it addresses it in an ancillary way in that you talk about loneliness and the yeah. fact that loneliness is part of this life, and that is something with which uh, you, you need to come to grips and understand and, and to some extent to even appreciate. Yeah, I think we have to look at all of this in a creative way there's something creative for us. Uh, and so uh, it, the last chapter has gotten perhaps some of the most feedback of anything that I've written, because I do talk about the loneliness of the priest. And on a Sunday afternoon or evening, after all the preaching is done, after all the meetings, after all the baptisms, after all the one-on-one encounters with parishioners and listening to their problems and talking about their families and everything else, when all of that is done, the incredible intimacies you share through the course of Sunday morning and early afternoon, all of a sudden, it's Sunday night, you're physically exhausted, you're all by yourself, and that's when you feel the loneliness of it all. And I found more and more the most sensitive, the most involved priests are the ones that feel that the most acutely, and it's just kind of the parallels that are there. If you, if you, don't, if you don't relate to people with those levels of intimacy, you're not going to feel the loneliness. If you do, you will feel that, and it's something you have to just, just live with. And I thought it was important for people to know that, that... Uh, this is part of our lives as well, and important for seminarians and those thinking about the priesthood to know it. As I said in the chapter, 
uh, it all uh, the chapter grew out of a conversation with a uh, was then a uh, seminary and interning here at the Deacon, who had an incredible impact on the people here on, uh, in the short period of time he was here. Incredibly pastoral, but he was really struggling with this. And I had to let him know that it was okay. You know that if he wasn't struggling with this, it would indicate that there was something wrong. The priest, he says, I am totally satisfied, totally happy. Everything is totally fine in my life. Oh boy, he's going to crash, and that's going to be difficult. <laughs> I want to also thank you for what really was my favorite chapter of the book, uh, chapter 34, called The Small Things, in which you remind all of us, uh, no matter where we are in life or what we do, that, uh, that often it is in those small little gestures of grace that we can make uh, a difference in someone's life that can reverberate uh, over the years. I think it's the small things rather than the big things. You know, when I was in the seminary, like most of us, we daydream about what we're going to do with our lives. We thought, you know, we're going to change the world, uh, and we're going to, you're going to, we're going to be the ones that have uh, the greatest impact on things. We're going to be right up there with the Curie of ours and other great pre-saints in history. Uh, but sometimes it's just the uh, the small things that we do and the small ways that people respond uh, that make a real difference in our lives. That's why we have to be open to that. The priests, like everyone else, our lives are so busy. We're moving from one thing to the next, and that was kind of the theme of my first two books, the Bumping into God books, that sometimes we fail to see God's grace and God's love uh, right in our lives in the simple little ways. Sometimes we need just to stop and to celebrate them. And for me, oftentimes, as I say in the story, it revolves around uh, the greatest uh, comfort food in the world, hot fudge Sunday. <laughs> the book is still called by name, Why I Love Being a Priest, by uh, Dominic Grassi, published by Loyola Press. Father Dominic Grassi, a real pleasure speaking with you on The Morning Show, and I enjoyed your book so much. Thank you so much for joining us. 